Good morning, y'all. My name is John Ziegler, and I'm the pastor here at Church of the Incarnation. I had a great time partying with you guys last night. If you missed it, we had a really great church party last night hosted by the Hiltons. Hiltons, thank you so much. Thank you for opening up your beautiful home to us. I was sitting in the back room with a couple of dads looking at that Christmas tree, blinking with colored lights on it. And I thought, how is it that Julie let them have a colored Christmas tree? Like I'm always <laughs> advocating for my kids, you know? As a kid, you just want that thing blinging and multicolored. And then someone's like, oh yeah, there's the white light tree is in the front. And so it's like, yeah, if you've got two, you get to do the, what you want with the one in the back. One day, dads will have their way in the kingdom when the Lord... No, okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the gospel. As we read this morning, Mark starts his gospel in this way. In the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And what does he say next? Does he then tell us something about baby Jesus? Or maybe some backstory about Joseph or Mary as we get in Matthew? No. Mark has no time for that. Mark doesn't do Christmas. He only knows Advent. Maybe that's why Paul left him behind in the second missionary journey. He's like, <laughs> man, that dude's a hater on Christmas. We're just going to keep going. Mark jumped straight to the cousin of Jesus. This voice crying in the wilderness who was sent by God to prepare the way of the Lord. And so we read the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ actually begins with his cousin, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. I almost said that British, and then I came back into the American Isaiah, Isaiah. I had a British professor for Isaiah, John Golden Gay. And so, all right, here we go. Let's talk about the Bible. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way for you. Interestingly, quoting Malachi right there. And then Mark flips into Isaiah. The voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And this morning in our collect, we prayed this prayer. Merciful God who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. You see, friends, it's prophets like Isaiah and John the Baptist who came to prepare the way for us. And it turns out they were essential in God's plan to save the world through Jesus. And Mark is pointing us back 550 years before his time. He's telling us, okay, I'm telling you about the story about how John came during my time to prepare the way for the Messiah. But if you want to know the backstory of what is happening here in my story, go ahead and read Isaiah 40. Isaiah will illuminate what God is doing in the world through his Messiah. And so this morning, I wanted to spend a little time together reflecting on Isaiah 40 and on John the Baptist. And we're going to allow these prophets to prepare us to receive the Messiah when he comes. So let's get into the passage together. We're going to be in Isaiah 40. If you want to follow along, we could put it on the screen. Or also, if you've got a Bible or an app with you, we'll be in Isaiah 40 most of the time. So verse 1. And I wonder how you might hear these words for you this morning. Comfort, 
O comfort my people. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. And I wonder if in these words you can feel the care that God has for his people. Can you hear the warmth? God's messengers, the prophets, don't only have words of challenge for you. They're not only here to call you to repentance. God also sends to us messengers of comfort. And one of the names we have in the Bible for God, the Holy Spirit, is the Comforter. Our God knows that we need comfort. And his spirit comforts us. And the ministers of his church are tasked with a ministry of comfort. Comfort, oh, comfort my people. This is the voice of a loving God that has set apart his chosen people. He's speaking words of compassion and kinship and commitment to this people he calls my people. In just a few moments, we're going to dig deeper into the passage and we're going to work together to understand the historical background of what's happening in Jesus' day. And I actually think that's really important to understand the story. But I think for some of you, the thing that I really want you to know and to know deep down today as you leave is that you belong to God and that your God wants to speak words of comfort to you this morning. His heart is not hardened towards his people. He's not reluctant with compassion. The very fact that he is sending the son into the world to be the lamb of God means that his heart is open to you. And he's already ready and he's already decided to forgive your sins and to restore your life. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term. Her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double her sins. Last week, we talked about how Advent begins in the dark and how God's people were crying out for him to come down and how we have to learn to be people of hope in the middle of the night. And this morning, the light is beginning to break through. We had hope, and this morning, we are receiving words of comfort and peace. Assurance that our sins are paid for and that we can be at peace with God. I want to talk to you for a little bit about exile. Because exile is related to the forgiveness of sins. And in order for us to understand what is happening in Jesus in, Jesus, in his time, we have to understand the exile God's people were living in the land that he had given them, right? If you remember, we, we actually, we talked all about Exodus for a long time over the summer, if you were here for that. And so God gave his people this land 
to live in, and he gave them his good and beautiful ways to live by. We call this the Torah, which means instruction. And so he gave them these good and beautiful instruction. And he made them a promise. He promised, hey, if you obey my instruction, you're going to live long in the land and you're going to flourish. But if you turn away, you're going to be forced to leave the land. And because our God is one who keeps his promises, and because Israel had turned away from his good and beautiful ways, they found themselves going into exile. First, some of them under the Assyrians, and then finally the rest of them under the Babylonians, who forced them into exile and forced them under a pagan rule under their mighty empire. And for the people in Isaiah's day, as well as in the time of Christ, the forgiveness of sins for them is not about a personal relationship with God. It's not about something that happens after you die. It's about a restoration to the land. It's freedom to flourish as God's people. It's the freedom to worship God without fear of oppression. And that's what Isaiah is talking about, that she has served her term and has paid her penalty and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is an announcement that all the judgment Israel had received, including the destruction of the temple, the loss of their homeland, the loss of her sovereignty, all this had been paid and that the, God's people could expect a restoration. And the problem is, is that in Jesus' day, although the people have returned from Babylon and at least some of the people are now living back in the land, they're still living under a pagan occupation. Babylon simply got a new name, Rome. And so it turns out that God's people are still waiting for the promise for their sins to be forgiven. And part of that promise is that the Lord's glory would return to the temple. Now, you guys might remember this from the story when Solomon built the temple, according to God's instruction. When he was done completing it, they had this, this kind of consecration ceremony, and the Lord's presence filled the temple. And the God that created all of creation manifested himself within his creation, within that temple. And to some extent, we can say that God moved in with the people. To some extent, we could say that God had an address in Jerusalem, that you could find him in the temple. And so when God decides to punish Israel for her sins, his presence leaves the temple and leaves Jerusalem abandoned to be conquered by her enemies. Do you guys get that? Like the Babylonians conquered the people, but they didn't conquer the God, right? And so they were able to conquer the people because the God said, I'm gone. And so what happens is the people return from exile. They come back. God brings them back. And that itself is miraculous that they have been able to return. And they still know his ways and they still have the scriptures. And they build the temple. They rebuild the temple. But as Jesus comes on the scene, they are still waiting for God's glory to return. You understand? They're waiting for him to come back, for God to move back in with them. And so at the beginning of Mark's gospel, 
God's people are longing for this forgiveness, this full restoration of the people to be free from their enemies and to see God's presence manifest itself in Jerusalem. And this is exactly what John's father, Zechariah, was getting at in that beautiful song that Nick sang this morning, right? The Benedictus from Luke 1, where he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And he's giving a prophetic word about what is happening now through his son, John. What is God doing in the world through John? And he says, look, he's looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. And he's raised up for us a mighty Savior from the house of David. As he promised through the prophets of old that he would do what? To save us from our enemies and the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown mercy, thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestor, and he has remembered his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our ancestors, that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. It's about freedom from their enemies. It's about flourishing. It's about holiness. It's about living in the presence of God. And as John comes on the scene, God's people have been stuck in a situation now for centuries. They are living with guilt and shame and the effects of sin, sins that they did not even themselves commit. They are living with the sins of their ancestors. And I'm wondering if you've ever felt stuck in a situation, maybe dealing with the guilt and shame of your own mistakes. Maybe you feel that you're stuck living with the poor choices that someone else has made. As we reflect on the horrors that we hear and read about in Israel and Gaza, we might have different takes on what is happening or how we might respond. But I am sure that we could all acknowledge something together, that there are decent people on both sides, people that I would describe as good and peaceful people, many of them the kinds of families that I would want for my own neighbors. And because of some people in power or some people uh, with weapons in their hands or making poor decisions, there are lots of people who are dying and are stuck in a war that is not their own choosing. And we can zoom all the way into your life and see similar things playing out. And we could zoom all the way out and see that this is, in fact, the human condition. We are all born into a world of sin and dealing with the effects of sinful choices, many of which were never our choosing. And we can ask, like the Israelites did, will it always be this way? And for us this morning, there is a God who is wanting to speak tenderly to us and to say, comfort, oh comfort my people. The good news of Isaiah is that God is not always going to hold the sins of his people against them. He is going to restore us, and he is going to return to us again. And Mark is inviting us to see these promises of restoration coming true in the ministry of Jesus prepared by John the Baptist. 
And that is why Mark is pointing us to these words from Isaiah 40 about restoration from exile. He's showing us that their ultimate fulfillment is in the ministry of John the Baptist, the voice of one who cries out. And then he quotes Isaiah 43, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Mark, well, in this case also Isaiah, (laughs) is using an analogy from road construction. Now, I like road construction. I don't like the traffic that goes with road construction, okay? But I do love to watch how they build stuff. Anybody here just like to know how they make stuff and like to watch them make it? And it's fascinating how they can cut a hole in the side of a mountain as they're going to fix a highway. The highway could never go up that high. And so they got to cut through this mountain. They're going to, you know, use explosives. They're going to do what they do. They're machines to get in there to cut out a mountain. And then sometimes they have a valley that they're going to have to bring in tons and tons of dirt that they're going to have to fill in order to make this highway through so that we can pass on it. And now the prophet John the Baptist comes on the scene this morning and he's saying, now is the time. The glory of the Lord is about to be revealed. God is ready to make his way back to Jerusalem. And so let's prepare the way. Let's prepare a highway to welcome him. And John looks you in the eye this morning And he's asking you, hey, are there any mountains in your life that might have to be leveled as we prepare for the Messiah to come? Are there any valleys we might want to fill? Are there any paths that are a little crooked that's just going to be a little bit harder to welcome God in the way we want to welcome him? What needs to be adjusted in your life? John is not saying that we have to atone for our sins. He's actually announcing that the lamb is about to come on the scene to take care of that for us. He is simply inviting us to repent, to turn from our sins and to realign our lives with the ways of the Messiah and the good and beautiful ways of his coming kingdom. I love this road construction analogy from Isaiah and from Mark. And I love that we get to remember this every second Sunday of Advent. It's such a beautiful image. And it's always just a great time for us to take inventory. I think about my life. I think about my family. What might be the mountains that need to be straightened out there, that need to come back a little bit? I think about my workplace. Or I think about the industry in which I work. I think about my neighborhood or our city or our state or our country. What are the ways that we can realign both ourselves and the world around us with the coming kingdom? The passage we read in Isaiah this morning ends in these words, starting with Isaiah 9. 
And so Jerusalem itself is told to get on top of the mountain, <laughs> go on top of a mountain where everyone surrounding Jerusalem can hear, and I want you to cry out to, to Ju Judah. So Jerusalem's the capital of Judah, right? And so the image is you're going to be like a herald on top of a mountain. Get up there, and I want you to cry at the top of your lungs so everyone can hear you. Here is your God. See, the Lord comes with might, and his mighty arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him, his repayment. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the little lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. Here is your God. Who is John? John is the one who points to Jesus and announces, here is your God. Jesus, the glory of God, return to Jerusalem. Yahweh is manifested once again among his people. And what is your God like? He comes with might. He rules with a strong right hand. That means he's really strong and he's really powerful. And he's bringing both reward and repayment with him. That means he is a powerful judge capable of administering justice. And what else? He will feed his flock like a shepherd. And he will gather the little lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom, hugging them, carrying them close to his heart, and gently lead the mother sheep who are nursing their ewes. What is your God like? Is he mighty and strong, ready to administer justice? Or is he tender and compassionate, caring for the little lambs and watching over the nursing sheep? And Isaiah is saying, yes. Yes, he is both. I read an article a while back about a scientific study that determined that while attraction varies in women, it's a study, okay? I'm telling you what the study said. The majority of women are most attracted to men who are both strong and gentle, capable of protection, but also kind and empathetic. And a lot of guys are sitting here like, yeah, that, that's why I had trouble getting a date to prom. I can see that. I can... Uh, I'm not claiming to know anything about women here this morning, okay? But what I want to point out is that this is exactly the picture that Isaiah gives us of God this morning. John, who was a mighty prophet, spoke boldly to all who came out to him. And he said, hey, guess what, guys? I'm a mighty prophet, but there's one even mightier than me who is about to come, and I can't even touch him. In fact, I'm not even worthy to tie the sandals on his feet. And then when that one came on the scene, John points to the mighty one and he says, behold, the lamb of God. And we're like, wait up, John. I thought, we, you know, we were expecting someone mighty. 
And you pointed us to a lamb. And John says, yes, he's the same guy. It's like that vision we get in Revelation 5 when no one is strong enough to open the seal on the scroll and they're saying, oh, no, no one can do it. And suddenly uh, there is someone that says, no, there's the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah is strong enough to open the seal. And then it's like the camera then pans over to where we're going to expect to see the lion to come out to do what the lion, only the lion can do. And what do we see? We see a lamb that was slain. Here is your God, the mighty one, the Lord, tender and compassionate, has returned to his people. And this can only mean for us the forgiveness of our sins and the restoration of God's people. Comfort, comfort, oh, my people, here is your God. Amen.